Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Well, tonight we're going to go back to Revelation. If you got your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 8 is where we left off. I know it seems like it's been forever since we've been in the book of Revelation. Uh, So let me kind of catch us up where we are. We looked at at a little bit at at Revelation chapter 8, and it says, And when he had opened the seventh seal, uh, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. And I saw seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it upon the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and earthquake. So what we see in this first five verses of chapter 8 is uh, a great silence that comes as as an opening of the seventh seal. Uh, This is the the last seal that's broken, but there's seven trumpets that are uh, 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 blown Uh, And with each trumpet is another tribulation that comes as a part of uh, judgment upon the earth. And there's also seven bowls. And we're looking at at all of this and and trying to figure out what all this means. Uh, First, uh, let's talk about silence. A lot of times in, in, uh, in church or in a public setting, uh, there's not too much silence. What I mean is, is if you came to church and, and you came in here and we didn't say a word, we just all sat in the pews and there was nothing but silence, what would you think? Well, that preacher, he done forgot his notes. He didn't bring his Bible with him and he's, he's forgot what he's supposed to do. Or, or uh, uh, somebody said, or maybe you would have thought, well, maybe somebody said something before, we, before I got there and I came in and didn't hear what they had said. And so I don't know why everybody's sitting here in silence. We're a lot of times uncomfortable with silence. You go to a meeting. Uh, whether it's a city council meeting or a county commission meeting or school board meeting. And if you have people come in and they're all sitting there waiting for things to happen, uh, there's no silence because people begin to talk to each other and everything. But if the meeting were to start and nothing was said, it was just complete silence, people would be uncomfortable. You'd start looking around wondering why Nobody's saying anything. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why, why is all this going on? And, and so silence is... Uh, we're not comfortable with it. It's something that we tend to try and feel with some kind of noise. I, I know a lot of times if I'm at home 
uh, by myself, which isn't very often, but if I'm at home by myself uh, uh, and uh, Robin and the girls have gone off somewhere or we, uh, I, for whatever reason I'm uh, gone somewhere and I'm in a, uh, someplace uh, by myself, you don't like silence. A lot of people don't like silence. People that live by themselves a lot of times will turn on the radio or turn on the TV uh, just to have some noise in the house. I know uh, my mom that lives by herself, she uh, likes to have the TV on just to have some noise. And and if uh, I know if I'm not watching TV or something like that, I'm reading a book. And really that's feeling the silence as well. I mean, it's quiet in the house. I'm, uh, a lot of times I, I read with nothing on, but sometimes I'll read with some background music playing just to have some noise playing. But as I'm reading, I, you know, you've got the the dialogue of the book. You're, you're reading the book and you know what's going on, so your mind's occupied and you don't hear the silence. We, we tend not to do well with silence. But here in this 8th chapter of Revelation, there's been a lot that's been happening. And all of a sudden there's silence for an hour and a half. It says that, uh, that all of heaven was uh, silence for half an hour. And as you recall from reading before this, Typically, there would be in heaven the throne room of God. There's the throne where God is. And you had the angels surrounding God and and those angels were proclaiming, Holy, Holy, Holy is Lord God Almighty. And so, typically, there would be the noise of the angels declaring the holiness of God. Typically, there would be the the noise of the uh, of the uh, ones in the uh, in the throne sitting around the throne of God. That there would be the all this noise, and here there's silence. Now, there's of course there's a lot of theories as to what the silence is all about. Some want to say that the silence was so that it was possible for the prayers of the holy ones to be heard before the throne. In verse 3 and 4, you hear the angel came and uh, stood before, before the altar, altar with a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer. And it was uh, it says that in that those verses that it was the prayers of the holy ones that were lifted up. Uh, there's a lot of people who believe that these are the prayers of the martyrs uh, that are being lifted up to God. And the silence was because uh, of the reverence given to the prayers that were being lifted up. Others say that it is... uh, uh, I tend to uh, believe this a little bit more, uh, or I think there's a combination of all this. I I know that God can hear my prayers no matter how much noise is going on. So why would there need to be silence so God could hear the the prayers of the Holy Ones? It's not logical. There's no reason that... that, that It's not like God's hard of hearing. Okay, I'm trying to hear. What are they saying? No, it's not that. Uh, I think that it's more uh, of a return to the... uh, There's some that say that it's a return to the primordial silence. The silence that uh, existed before all of creation, before all things were created. If you go back to Genesis and you read the first words, in the beginning was uh, was God. Uh, 
there was nothing. The earth was formless and void. There was uh, nothing at all. And the Spirit of God walked across the, the firmament of the earth. There was silence. There were no sounds of insects. There were no sounds of gnats flying in your ear. There were no sounds of mosquitoes biting your skin. There was no sounds of, of frogs chirping because it rained or, or uh, the cata did uh, uh, sounding off in the distance. There was no sounds of, of anything. Not even the wind blowing. And... There are some that, that say this harkens back to the silence of uh, the existence before anything was created. Throughout Scripture, though, there's a third option, and that is, is that this silence represents the, uh, the uh, prelude to the divine manifestation. In Job chapter 4, verse 16, there's silence before God comes and speaks to Job. In Zephaniah chapter 1, uh, verse 7, and, and Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13, and, and both of those circumstances, there was a great silence before uh, a judgment comes upon mankind. And there's a lot of, of those who want to say that this silence is a prelude to uh, God uh, expressing Himself and manifestation. The fourth uh, example is the example of uh, merely just simply being silent before God. I know a lot of times when we go into... Uh, now, we're all familiar with church here. We come in here and we, we feel as though uh, we're familiar enough with coming in here that, that we don't uh, really notice it a whole lot, uh, the difference between being here and, say, in your own home or, or somewhere else, a restaurant or somewhere else. But there ought to be a reverence whenever we go into a church. There are some churches that I've been in cathedrals that you just naturally fall silent because it just lends itself to an expression of the awesomeness of God. And the reason that the cathedrals are so high, I don't know if any of you've ever uh, been to uh, Europe and have gone into any of those cathedrals. I, I've had the opportunity years ago while I was in college to have gone into uh, several cathedrals that as we toured around Europe uh, with my concert choir and we sang in a couple of them and they're massively tall. I mean, it, it's a it's an amazing thing and uh, it, it's it's amazing to be in them. Uh, it, it's a it's an experience that's not, not like any other. You walk in and you just simply feel like you're in the presence of God. That's why they were built and constructed those ways because they wanted to express the awesomeness of God, the the majesty and the glory of God. Everything is so tall and big for that reason because it it helps us to understand how great God is. And that's the, the purpose of those buildings. And uh, when you go in, you just simply... Uh, it's not because somebody has to tell you. It's just simply because of the surroundings you're in. You, you begin to, to hush and you begin to, to 
inspect inwardly how small you are, how insignificant you are, how great God is, and how wonderful God is, and the holiness of God. That's the whole purpose of those cathedrals. And it's to draw us up to God as well, to help us to see God and to experience God. And this silence many would say is because of a reverence before God. You can look at Psalm 621 and, uh, and uh, Hebrews 2.20 and look at those verses and see the, the, the silence that, that whenever God is present that people instinctively uh, grow silent because of His holiness. And so we have a silence that's within heaven, and, and this silence is, uh, is a, for a period of 30 minutes. Now, then there is <coughs> also those things that follow the silence. Following that verse, the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepare uh, themselves to sound, and the first angel sounded, and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees uh, were burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. The second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And it was called, uh, the name of the star was called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters become Wormwood. And many men died at the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars so as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not and the third part of it and the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of their voices of the trumpet of the three angels which were not yet sound. So we ha- uh, what we have here is uh, these trumpets that are sounded by these different angels that are in this 8th chapter. And we're going to stop before we get to the ninth chapter here, uh, uh, which begins with the 5th angel. But I want to point out a few things right quick about this and... Uh, then it'll be over. First, I want to point out the fact that throughout all of this, we see that that everyone that is upon the earth is experiencing this. A lot of Christians want to believe that uh, the tribulation, oh, we're going to be covered like uh, 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 we're not going to have to worry about all of this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that, uh, that the... Uh, the church will be uh, withdrawn before any of this. Nowhere in Revelation do we have uh, any indication that that uh, Christians are not there. So we see that everyone is experiencing uh, these tribulations. 
And you might say, well, that's not fair. Christians are not supposed to be in the tribulation. Christians are not supposed to be experiencing this uh, judgment of God. This is the wrath of God pouring out upon uh, humanity. Why is it that... that Christians are experiencing this along with everyone else. And I want to point out the fact that, uh, that many times we fail to forget we're saved by His grace. We deserve uh, the very pit of hell because of our sins. And it's only because of the grace and the mercy of God that we have salvation. And so often we want, as Christians want to say, well, I'm saved. I shouldn't. Uh, that's, for instance, a lot of times Christians will say, you know, well, you know, I sinned, but I asked for forgiveness. And what they fail to remember is, is that, uh, that God punishes our, uh, our sinfulness, that we receive punishment for those things throughout our life. Things happen in our life because we're, uh, we don't follow after Christ and we don't do the things we're supposed to do. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, He does uh, forgive us of our sins, but we still have to face the consequences of our sin. And this passage of Scripture shares with us that that everyone who's on the earth experiences these things. No one is exempt. And I want to point point that out. Uh, Now, what helps the Christian through this? It helps the Christian through the experience of of life and and through even uh, the the, uh, punishment for our sins when we do sin is the fact that we know that we have a loving God that loves us and will be with us and help us through our uh, life and help us to see see ourselves through this. And so we need to remember that God is there for the Christian. God is there for those who are saved. God is there. The next thing I want you to, uh, to catch is that is each of those things that are happening, this is the punishment of God. This is the wrath of God being poured out on mankind for the history of sin. This is God's wrath finally coming to bear upon all of mankind for all the things that mankind has done. And God's wrath is being poured out and man is experiencing God finally bringing judgment upon uh, all of humanity for the things that, that we've done. And so this is the the wrath of God for sinfulness. This is the wrath of God for uh, all that that's happening. And you have to understand also, the Bible here talks about uh, in the last days how men will turn away from God. In the last days that... Uh, you you see all of these perversions. You you see that uh, that men lay with men like uh, they're supposed to with women uh, in the last days. In the last days, you see that all these things that that uh, that people will not listen to sound doctrine, but instead want to have their ears tickled, uh, uh, meaning they want to hear things that make them feel good. They want to hear things that, that they enjoy hearing. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to hear the message of uh, repentance. They don't want to hear the message of judgment. And so uh, we have to understand the condition of the world in the last days when this uh, takes place. Uh, and so this is the wrath of God. Lastly, I want to point out, uh, did you hear what God is trying to point out here in this passage. Throughout this passage, uh, 
How many times does it say a third? A third of the seas, a third of the oceans, a third of the stars, a third of the rivers, a third of uh, the, the trees and the grass, a third, a third, a third, all this time. That means two-thirds survived, right? A third was affected. A third of all the fish and the ships were destroyed. A third of humanity was killed uh, by these, uh, these tribulations that are falling upon the earth. A third, a third, a third. That means that God, in, in spite of the fact that this is His wrath falling upon mankind, it's not a total destruction. He's saying, look, there's two-thirds of the earth left that is going to progress beyond this part of the tribulation and see to the very end the final battle. But uh, this is a picture of God's mercy, isn't it? I mean, we all deserve to be destroyed and utterly wiped out for our sinfulness. We all deserve to, uh, to have the full wrath of God come upon us and all of uh, us destroyed for the things that we do. Even we as Christians deserve that. It's only because of the grace, the mercy, and the love of God that His love is poured out upon us and we uh, receive any forgiveness. And so what we see is in the midst of all of this wrath is God's love. We see God's love in that all of humanity is not destroyed, that all of humanity isn't burnt up, that all of humanity isn't poisoned by the, uh, the waters, that all of the earth is not destroyed with these. And so what we see is uh, in this destruction and all this, well, you say, well, how, how can I understand that this is really God's wrath? Well, what were the, these things that are befalling? You have the earthquake. You have hail that's falling from the sky. You have fire that is falling from the sky. You have the seas and the rivers turned to blood. You have a third of all the trees and grass burn up. You had blood fall from heaven. You have a third of the sea creatures that are, are killed and the ships that are upon the earth. And you see, verse 11, you have wormwood, the, the star that falls from heaven. All of these parallel, in a sense, the plagues that fall upon Egypt in Exodus. Uh, in <coughs> In Egypt, when the Israelites were being delivered from the rule of Pharaoh. And, of course, you remember you have the waters that were turned to blood in the, the ten plagues. You have the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock that were killed, the boils, the hail, the locusts, darkness, and then finally the angel of death. Now, you don't have a 100% correspondence between these two instances of in Egypt and in the tribulation, but what you do have is enough similarity that we can see that this is... And what happened in Egypt was the pouring out of God's wrath upon Egypt, not necessarily because... They, uh, the Pharaoh wouldn't allow the people of Israel to leave because, as you recall, at first that's what it was. 
Pharaoh would say, you can leave, and the children of Israel would get ready to leave, and then Pharaoh changed his mind. And God would bring about uh, the plague. Uh, and that happened at first. And then it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that the plague would come about. And it makes you kind of wonder, well, maybe Pharaoh didn't have a choice in it. You know, here's God. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart. How fair is that that he would bring a, 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 a plague upon Egypt because God made his heart harden? And what it is is that God, of course, uh, when we studied about uh, the various uh, uh, plagues that fell upon Egypt, uh, you, if you remember way back then when we studied that, uh, you recall that this was all about God destroying the faith that the Egyptians had in all the different gods, that each one of those plagues related to, in some way, the, the gods, the things that the Egyptians worshipped. And God was declaring Himself as the only one true God to not just the Israelites whom He was delivering out of bondage, but also to the Egyptians to indicate each one of these things. The Nile was the giver of life. And so the blood, uh, when uh, Moses touched his staff to the Nile River, uh, it caused the river to turn to blood. That was uh, God uh, attacking the God, uh, begin to attack the, the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. And uh, uh, so each one of those things was related to an aspect of the worship of the Egyptians, and God was declaring that He is the one true God. And in the tribulation and revelation, He is doing the same thing. While He is pouring out the wrath of God, it's very clear. This is not just some uh, tragedy that's happened. Uh, yes, we have earthquakes now. Yes, we have uh, meteorites that fall to earth. But this is all the hand of God. It's, it's without doubt that it is God that's doing this. And it is God who's bringing about this judgment upon the earth. And so all of these things point to the judgment of God. But also it points to God's grace his mercy, His love, because only a third of life throughout the universe is not just earth. It started out just the earth of the grass and the trees uh, being uh, affected and, and the rivers and the, and the oceans and the fish and mankind, but then it goes to the heavens. It talks about the sun. A third of the sun is blotted out. A third of the stars and the heavens are blotted out. And so we see that throughout the whole universe it's affected. And that's what we need to understand is, is that all of our life is affected by our sin and all of our life is being judged because of our sin, but yet God only uh, God spares us. He doesn't totally wipe out humanity. He spares us in His mercy and His love. And so that's the, the emphasis of uh, this part. Uh, we see it's easy to just simply look and see all the destruction, but we need to also see the mercy, the grace, and the love of God. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, in spite of the things that happen in life, Lord, we know and understand that, that You have design in all things that happen. Lord, many times it's a result of, of our sinfulness. But Lord, we also praise You for Your mercy and Your grace, Your love that's applied towards us. Lord, take us 
and help us to live our lives according to Your will and desire. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.